0: Welcome to episode five of Girl Mode. I'm one of your hosts, Robin B. And I'm Willa Rowe, your other host. This week, Willa, the big news in the world of video games is the Game Awards. Yes, Jeff
1: Keighley's baby.
0: (laughs) Jeff Keighley's baby. Jeff Keighley's big, expensive, annoying baby. Uh, (laughs) So earlier this week, the list of like official nominees for the show was, was released. Uh, and there was, there were certainly some feelings raised about what those, those particular nominees happened to be this year.
1: Yeah. Um, it was weird. Cause I think in, in some ways it's like more than it has been before.
0: Yeah. Certainly more than I've ever noticed anyway.
1: Yeah. And it's like, I mean, a lot of it is unsurprising. Um, at least the nominations Elden Ring and God of War Ragnarok basically are in every category they can possibly be in.
0: I think the big problem is that they are so unsurprising.
1: Yeah. But beyond that, I mean, one of the biggest issues was there seems to be a weird thing about indies in the Game Awards, like especially this year.
0: Yeah, it's... So I guess to start with, like the Game Awards the categories themselves are always a bit weird, right? Because there's like, mm-hmm. there are things like a game of the year, which is, you know, a very kind of overarching category. Uh, and then there are other categories that drill down into very specific aspects of games, like game direction, narrative, score, things like that. And then there are also these category awards, like uh, action and, and indie and things like that. And then... Even more nebulous categories, the 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 infamous uh, Games for Impact award. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's just a very strange mix of different like types of categories. So it can be very difficult to know where to where to kind of slot different games in. Uh, and the way that it at least seems to have worked this year is everyone just slotted the same games into basically every category. I think something weird about
1: the Game Awards is like. They are ostensibly the like Oscars of the games industry, Mm -hmm. um, which is a weird comparison for a lot of reasons. But, you know, I think it speaks to the like disparity of categories. You have a lot of categories that are like traditional recognition awards like Game of the Year or artistic awards like Game Direction, Best Narrative, things that feel comparable to like prestige awards in more traditional mediums. But then you have a lot of more like these more specific awards that are like very genre based, which start becoming really nebulous. Yes. <laughs> so it's a weird combination of like, where are they trying to go? Is this like for prestige recognition? Is this like more, you know, popular opinion, um, which has always been a weird thing for an awards show to, to figure out.
0: Yeah, I think part of the issue is it seems to be that they're going for both of those things. Like, they want to mimic the sort of prestige categories that you'd see at the Oscars and the kind of categories that, like, reflect the way that, by and large, players think about games, Mm -hmm. which is these kind of, like, weird categories. Uh, And like you mentioned, none of them are, are weirder than the indie categories. Yeah. So... I think the categories that we're probably going to focus on the most or the ones that seem at least that we are the most frazzled about are best independent game, best debut indie game and games for impact.
1: Yeah. I I think that it's best to like start with the most understandable award <laughs> and then yeah. like generally understandable word and then move to the more obscure so like best independent game seems fairly obvious what you would be looking for
0: it would seem that way you'd
1: think and so like the nominations are cult of the lamb neon white sifu stray and tunic which Uh is very interesting that this is the list because ostensibly these are all indie games right but it it comes but are they? yeah so there's this really weird question and this is like happens across artistic mediums is what does indie mean and like you'd think indie stems from independent it's about you know games and creators that break out of the mainstream or like the traditional industry of like development and publishing for games that's typically been smaller teams of like one or two or a few people who maybe publish it themselves or crowdfund or something like that. These are small, like, weird games, typically, like the weird sicko games that are often, like, really awesome. Um, yeah. But nowadays, like, indie in the games industry is becoming, oddly, more and more a mainstream thing. You have yeah. big publishers like... Devolver Digital and Annapurna Interactive, which really draw, the, like, they, they walk the line of, is this truly independent? Or is this more of a mainstream traditional publisher now, when you're having a fair bit of money put in, and sometimes you're having, you know, also support from large companies like Sony or Microsoft. And so for Best Independent Game this year, it seems that Indie is less about the way that the game was made, like, you know, super small teams outside of the traditional industry. And it's more about an aesthetic idea of what is indie. Because the biggest ones on here that are like, interesting to me are Neon White, Stray, Cult of the Lamb, um, specifically, because Neon White and Stray were published by Annapurna Interactive, and Cult of the Lamb was published by Devolver Digital. These games had a lot of money behind them, mm-hmm. <laughs> relatively. Um, and Stray had a massive like marketing campaign from Sony because it was a console exclusive to PlayStation. So it feels weird that they're here <laughs> alongside games like Tunic, which were made almost entirely by one person and published by a really small indie publisher, Finji.
0: Right. I think part of the weirdness of, of this game category and the way that you categorize indie games is just sort of like intrinsic to the industry, right? Because like like you just said, like Tunic is not like a a self-published small game like that. Like it it is going through a publisher. But that publisher is is very small scale and the team actually making the game obviously like minuscule. Um, But then you also have games like Sifu, which like was published by kind of an or you know developed by like an independent studio, but also got a lot of support from sony like it was you know kind of one of their flagship titles of the year and then yeah like annapurna and devolver are both you know ostensibly like indie labels but they also are like how many games this year have they put out like how much money do they have it's like they are like major forces in the industry Mm -hmm. um and they're yeah it's like you said their indie status kind of seems to come from an aesthetic rather than like financial consideration or like any consideration of the material conditions that like went into making the game yeah
1: and it's eh. it's also like this is not inherently a bad thing but so stray is also like it's also nominated for game of the year Mm -hmm. it's the only indie game that is which makes it hard to stomach the fact that it will probably win best independent game yeah because Most people are most familiar with Stray probably due to the massive marketing campaign um, from Sony and people are going to be more, more ready to vote for Stray than any of the other independent games.
0: Yeah. And that's a tricky thing because like, it isn't that they shouldn't be able to overlap. Like I would love to see more overlap between like having independent games be up for game of the year. But I think the problem is like, it feels less like an independent game is up for the game of the year than it does a game of the year contender has kind of infiltrated the indie category. Yeah. At a certain point, it's very understandable, right? The nominees for the game awards are not going to come from like true independent ga- nobody's looking through itch to find their nominees for this, right? The the I guess we can say at this point we both work for Inverse who was a, you know, is a member of the jury for these. Um so these these nominees are chosen by publications. So the kind of games that we tend to cover are necessarily the ones that end up getting nominated for these things. Just because it's, you know, when you spend all day writing about video games, the ones that you spend the most time on and like wrote the most about are going to end up sticking in your mind. So it's not that I really expect it to be that different from the list ended up being.
1: So I would say that it's become more common for a lot of, you know, what I would call mainstream quote unquote indie games to be what are mostly seen in the best independent game category. But then you have like the next level kind of down or not down, but like more obscure maybe is best debut indie game, which you would think is like very clear. It's the first Mm -hmm. game from like a studio and, you know, still falls into those weird nebulous uh, ideas of what indie is. But so here we have neon white Norco Stray tunic and vampire survivors. And my first issue with this outright is that neon white shouldn't be here.
0: <laughs> I mean it just speaks again to like how ill-defined these these kind of the criteria for each category is, right? Because like mm-hmm. neon white is I guess the first game from from this studio, but the studio is is run by developers who have worked on other indie games before and like very popular indie games yeah so it's like
1: county mainly yeah
0: Yeah. so like sure the name of this it is technically a new studio but it's not it feels very different in spirit to me than like these are not new developers you know and i would
1: say that you know i norco tunic and vampire survivors i think are great Mm -hmm. like inclusions here i'm glad they're here but I think, again, Stray and Neon White have more of the public opinion because I think less people are going to know about or be playing these other games, which is kind of wild to me, though, because at least Vampire Survivors is, like, massively popular.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're all kind of, like, breakouts as far as indies go. Like, Tunic was extremely successful. Like, it's yeah. on Game Pass, it's like everyone's talking about it. Norco certainly less so, but anyone who is, like, the least bit plugged into, you know, the indie scene, like Norco is kind of like a star of that, that corner of game development this year. So -hmm. they are all extremely well known games, just not really quite to the level of something like Stray, which is also in the category, you know?
1: Yeah. And then so after these two categories, we have Games for Impact, which is not explicitly a indie category however in my mind sometimes i think about this as the real indie category
0: (laughs) yes it's like the de facto indie category
1: yeah so for example this year it is a memoir blue as dusk falls citizen sleeper endling extinction is forever hindsight and i was a teenage exo colonist now excluding as dusk falls which um is like a Game Pass day one game and had um, a lot of support from Xbox. Most of these games are like what I would consider more true, like true indies, at least specifically games like I was a teenage Mm exocolonist, Endling Extinction is Forever, Citizen Sleeper. They are, you know, smaller teams, really interesting games that feel kind of a little more out there. Um, but have really interesting things to say.
0: Yeah, that seems to be the the games Room back category is like the interesting games category. Yeah, you're right though. Like if you had just shown me this list of games and asked what category it was, I would say best independent game. Like, because this is the only category for which all five nominees are what I would consider to be indie games. I don't know. I just think it's unfortunate that like the category that is the most interesting to me, and I suspect one of the more interesting ones to you, is the one that is the like the least defined and one that like a lot of people are probably going to overlook or not really care about like not necessarily even because they don't know the games but just because the the category doesn't make any sense. Are we saying the rest of these games have no impact?
1: Yeah, so Kotaku wrote a great article about this titled Games for Impact is a Meaningless Awards Category. Yeah. <laughs> which touches on a lot of these things and um, I think it, it's a great kind of companion to a piece I wrote. It's titled Game Awards 2022 Nominees Prove the Indie Label Has Lost All Meaning. And both the Kotaku article and, and mine, we kind of get into this thing of with Games for Impact specifically. I say, how can a game be so impactful yet not deserving of a nomination anywhere else on the list? it's because, a good question. <laughs> yeah, cuz if you look at these games, literally all of them, this is the only nomination they received at mm-hmm. the awards. I mean, we've talked about this game before. Citizen Sleeper is one of our favorite games of the year and it's it's a game that is I would say w- widely loved. Yeah. Um it's it got a lot of really good reviews and it's it is very impactful, but it's it's hard to see that and be like why is this game or any of these games on this list so impactful yet they don't deserve, you know, best game direction or best art direction? Like um, a game like Endling Extinction is Forever has, for me, it's a game that I didn't love the entirety of it, but I think it has a really beautiful art style. For example, it's something Mm -hmm. really unique. And I'm like, why isn't that in best art direction? Or, When you have categories like this, either the defined ones like Best Indie Game or these nebulous ones like Games for Impact, which become a place for indie games, are we using these categories to relegate these smaller games or give them space that they wouldn't usually have? And more often than not, it feels like we're relegating them from the rest of the conversation.
0: Yeah, like it seems like these would be great places to acknowledge games that aren't going to you know, don't have the, let's be real, like the marketing budget behind them to get nominated for bigger categories because that's kind of what drives the nominees to, to a large extent. And But rather than being a place to like highlight them, it does seem like, well, we'll shove them over here and then we don't have to feel bad about not nominating them for the categories that they might deserve more. You know, like like you're saying, yeah, like Endling very easily could have been a nominee for Art Direction. Like Citizen Sleeper, and I was a teenage exocolonist, no reason for those not to be in Best Narrative. And I would certainly argue, like, I, I think it would be difficult to argue that Citizen Sleeper doesn't deserve to be nominated for Game of the Year mm-hmm. by anyone who's actually played it. But yeah, it it does seem to be like, there almost seems to be like an unspoken idea that games need to be of a certain scale and a certain scope to be able to even be eligible for those kind of more high profile categories, which I, I don't know, it, it just it just seems like such a missed opportunity.
1: Yeah, something that I think it also does is that it's, you know, I think we focus a lot on how this affects indie games, but in all honesty, it, it does a disservice to indie games and like large AAA games, <laughs> which I mean, the Kotaku article talks about this, but you wouldn't expect usually to see a game like God of War Ragnarok or a big AAA game. You you wouldn't expect to see that in games for impact. Mm -hmm. And it makes you ask this question of like, well, why not? Do we not expect big AAA high budget games to be impactful? Are they not narratively like meaningful? Are they not Doing interesting things are they not going to affect me? And so we start devaluing AAA games in one sense, um, while also devaluing indie games in another, and we kind of leave everything lacking in some manner.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And I mean, if you you can take it a step further too, where it's like, okay, well, if these games weren't impactful, why are they nominated for best game of the year or best game of best game direction? Yeah, exactly. If there's nothing going on aside from the spectacle, what makes them a game of the year?
1: Mm -hmm. And I think kind of to shift to another issue that I had is that there's this focus on spectacle and budget. Mm -hmm. Um, Like you need a high budget to succeed, it seems, at the Game Awards. For example, Best Art Direction is, is a category where it seems like what is most valued is like graphical fidelity yeah and like realism or or naturalism rather like trying to look like real life which is a very small it's a constricted way of looking at art direction especially in a year when there was incredible art direction beyond this
0: well exactly yeah i mean it, it's it's rewarding one very specific element of of art direction and one very specific kind of art i'm fully you know if if there needs to be a category here that's like the most realistic <laughs> looking game. Like, <laughs> you know, give it a better name, but like I'm fine with that category existing. Best Uncanny Valley. It's <laughs> least Uncanny Valley. But yeah, like just just saying like the games that look the most, the closest to photorealism are necessarily the ones that have the best art direction. It's like almost a non sequitur. Like those, those two things aren't really connected. Like something can be very... Technically masterful in the the you know like you said the fidelity of the graphics that doesn't mean the art direction was good, you know, like if you render a tree so well that I think it's a real tree, that doesn't tell me anything about art direction that's that's about like processing power you know, and like obviously the work that goes into creating those assets as well, but like again, it's a very different thing like I'm thinking think of games like like Saturnalia is the one that keeps jumping to my mind it's like an incredibly striking game. Like there is nothing that looks like it or Stephanie, a game that I won't shut up about ever. Uh, <laughs> like there was never any chance that it was getting nominated for anything, but a category like best art direction is somewhere that a game like that could shine because it is this such as such a specific vision of how the game wants to look. Whereas like I'm never gonna say that like God of War Ragnarok or Elden Ring or Horizon Forbidden West don't look good. They do look good. But to me, like the art direction does not stand out to me there. They're impressive, but I think there are more creative games out there. And it's just I don't know. I think that kind of like that sort of sums up a lot of my my issues with these categories. Is like I don't necessarily disagree with like the selections that were made. I don't necessarily say that they don't deserve to be there. But it's just like, what are we looking... What are we looking for? And are there games that better exemplify the the kind of spirit of these categories that, like, not only, like, fit the category better, but also could use the recognition more than God of War Ragnarok, you know?
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, for me, they're, like... Ugh, some of the biggest omissions that I think were wild was uh, <laughs> Citizen Sleeper, especially. Yeah. I... I really thought it would be there. <laughs> I feel like it made a big enough impact, at, like at least in the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. and it was so like the narrative is really incredible and the art is very striking and it does something interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't
0: know. Like I said, like there, there are a lot of games that I like this year that I was just like, this is not the kind of game that gets this kind of award, and you kind of just accept that and move on. But yeah, Citizen Sleeper was enough of a breakthrough that it was just like, I don't know. It was it was. It felt worse that it didn't get any of those nominations because it is a chance to, like, recognize a game that's that's small and personal and interesting but still had enough mainstream appeal that it could have stood a chance. That, yeah, the fact... Or, I mean, I think Signalis is honestly, like, very close to that same category where it's, like, it's kind of a niche thing, but, like, it, it broke through just enough that you could see the chance for it to be there. And the fact that it wasn't... was all the more disappointing because of that. I think to an extent
1: there's if budget and money is so important in the way these games are made, I think honestly there it, it's not absurd to th- come up with an awards show like the game awards um where instead of just doing ga- like game of the year and best indie if they if they honestly put like a dollar amount next to the <laughs> awards where they're like, you know, Best game above X amount of money. Best game that cost less than this amount. There's some kind of actual cutoff that way. Right. And you can, in some ways, let smaller games actually get through a little bit in the
0: categories that
1: they might
0: get recognition. Yeah, I mean, that that sounds like on its face a kind of an absurd thing, but it is also like in essence what is going on like there is kind of a de facto limit in there already there is a reason that all of the game of the year nominees were these massive productions and again it's not because they didn't deserve to be there but there are plenty of other games that also deserve to be there but they just didn't have the the marketing budget to get on enough people's radars you know I think there are people who would like scoff at the idea of Citizen Sleeper being on that list, and I think if you pressed them for why, the answer would boil down to it's not big enough.
1: Mm-hmm. I think this is too big of a scale, like the awards in general. But I wish there was a way to recognize games in like each weird stratified category like i'm fine with recognizing best massive AAA game yeah like i play a lot of AAA games and i like some of them a lot um and then there's like the rung below these weird like double a then you have indie which let's say like mainstream indie which i would say stray and neon white and then I would love to have some way on a more wide scale to recognize these super niche indie games that I feel like will never really get a chance to find a larger you know audience because they will never be here um I would love a category where you could see like the curse of the Golden Idol yeah or or something like Butterfly Soup Two, mm-hmm. which
0: came out on itch which and yes, like. <sighs> Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, sorry that <laughs> the butterfly soup two thing just really struck me because like butterfly soup is like a classic, you know, like mm-hmm. it is such an important game. It, it's like you know so firmly in the canon, uh, and the fact that like the yeah the sequel came out this year and just is like again there's just no chance it would ever appear on a list like this. And it, I don't know. It's like there there certainly there are other avenues for for things like that to get that kind of recognition and even like awards. But it's just like those avenues are always going to cater to the people who are already paying the most attention. So it just becomes like a version of the same problem where the, the only people who are, or the only games that would become eligible for that are ones that everyone who's watching already knows about. Mm-hmm. Like the, the real problem is like getting the attention of the mainstream onto these smaller games. And that's like, I don't know, it, it is a difficult problem. Uh, I, I certainly am not trying to argue that it would be an easy thing to do. And there are like, obviously plenty of obstacles in the way, like economic and otherwise, but I don't know. The game awards is just like it, the argument I think would be like, it's too big of a show to focus on things like that, that small. But my argument would be it's big enough that it can afford to and that it, it should have some kind of, I don't know if I want to say responsibility, but some kind of impulse to lift up those smaller games that, that don't get recognized.
1: Yeah, I think um something that I find myself comparing the Game Awards and the stratification of like, AAA and indie to a lot is theater, hmm. and specifically theater in New York. Because you you like hear these words thrown around a bunch of there's Broadway theater, there's off Broadway theater, and there's off off Broadway theater. And it sounds like When you hear that, it's like you have, well, you have the big mainstream theater, then you have, you know, smaller stuff that's like, I don't know, maybe a bit weird. And then you have the like just complete like back of the alley kind of stuff. But what's really interesting is that these definitions have like impact what shows can go where. Mm -hmm. And it has to do with the size of a theater. Like a Broadway theater is above a certain number of seats, and then Off Broadway is below that number. And so you have specific. Yeah. So you have specific spaces that are there for smaller artists that aren't there for the like more large corporate, like general focused art. And this is where a lot of the more interesting stuff in the theater world starts. But then there's also a similar problem with recognition in the theater community where there's only a set number of like large awards or things like that that can be given out to small shows and in the cycle of theater, like, every season, every year, there typically is, like, the one darling that is picked. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, one small show from this, you know, interesting creator who might be, like, just on the rise, and this is going to be their big break. And, like, at the beginning of the season, they might might get, like, a fellowship at, like, a prestigious off-Broadway theater or something. And then, more often than not, the rest of the year most places end up just giving that same person and that same show an award. And it's like they already have the attention. Right. <laughs> we can spread the love a bit. And I think this is my issue sometimes with like the game awards and the way that the mainstream like games public conceives of indie games. There's only a capacity for a small number to really get their due. And, like, this year, that is Stray,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which I feel bad because it's, like, I'm not trying to shit on Stray. Yeah. I, like, it's a game that I very much enjoy,
0: but it's, like, I wish there was a space to let other things through. Yeah, yeah, and that's, yeah, that, it's definitely part of the problem where it's, like, it's not that it's a bad game. It's just that it shouldn't be the the representative of the, like, indie community because it it isn't really you know, the most representative example of indie games. And I don't think it's the most interesting indie game. Um, I, I certainly don't think it's the best indie game if we're using the name of the categories. And yeah, I don't know, that, that creates its own problems where it's like, yeah, this game should get recognized, but not at the expense of like equally deserving games that just happen to be smaller. I don't know. It's it's a difficult problem to solve, certainly. I don't, I, I wouldn't envy the Game Awards for trying to solve that problem. Like, that's not a, a job that I necessarily think that I would be great at, but it is frustrating that they don't seem to be trying to solve that problem.
1: Yeah. No no spoilers or anything. I, I have a feeling that if we were to make a games, game awards show, I think we could kick ass at it.
0: <laughs>
1: We'd How? solve all the problems. Yeah.
0: I think that's we would definitely solve all the world's problems. No question. I'm trying to think... How many games? Like, how much overlap do you think there would there would be between our between... picks and the, like the official nominees here? Because I can literally think of maybe like two, two or three games. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna th-
1: say I can think of I can think of like three games. Yeah, uh, interesting. It's it's an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think the big question is: do, do you think Elden Ring or or God of War Ragnarok goty twenty twenty two?
0: I think it's, I both think and hope it's going to be Elden Ring. Um, again, nothing against Kratos and his father-son bonding murder trip, but, um, <laughs> you know, Elden Ring is is a very special and interesting thing. Um, and of the nominees that are listed in front of me here, I think that is the one that, like, far and away is the most deserving. How, how do you feel about it?
1: I... So I agree with everything you've said about Elden Ring. I'm going to say it's God of War Ragnarok. Okay, why is that? Because I'm just playing the awards game. And God of War Ragnarok, I think, is is like the Oscar bait game. It is a prestige title that is a sequel to a very, very beloved game yeah. that did win Gody, I'm pretty sure. Um Let's see. truly
0: don't remember. But I mean, Elden Room was a phenomenon. That was literally the only thing anyone talked about for like two months.
1: <laughs> yeah, but so here's the thing. God of War 2018 won the game of the year in 2018 at the Game Awards. It is one most anticipated game at the Game. God of War Ragnarok has won most anticipated game. I think that. Sony Santa Monica played a smart game by putting it in November. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fresh in people's minds. People are going to have been playing it. Yeah, recency it bias is, a, is real. <laughs> like it yeah, has a big recency effect. bias is going to be real. I think that people, it, it does what people want for the most part. It's a pretty epic conclusion to the Norse saga. And I think that people are going to... Maybe push Elden Ring a little bit out of their mind. I also think that it's possible that there is a not small contingent of people who don't love Elden Ring because they just never got into Souls games. And I kind of think that God of War might just be the spoiler pick, and it might actually yeah. win, which would be wild. It would be. But it would be. I'm. I'm. I think. I'm. I think that's what I feel. Interesting.
0: Uh, i mean that's a very convincing argument i i i do hope that you're incorrect about about that not that i don't know i guess that actually kind of makes me think like how like how much does any of this actually matter is kind of the question which which sounds like a more cynical phrasing than i want it to but like
1: it doesn't it doesn't matter at all it it
0: truly doesn't like (laughs) but there's i don't know there's there's part of me that's like as much as literally the only category that I actually care about is games for impact because I do think like citizen sleeper is extremely deserving of, of that kind of recognition. The rest of these are like just giants fighting it out for like one more scrap of attention when they've already had plenty, but it's, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think it would be more like, it, it truly does not matter, but I think it would just be kind of like, I don't know, disappointing. It's just, it's just a, a boring choice, you know, like, Oh, okay. The big, the big budget game that does the thing we knew it was going to do wins like, okay, not surprising, but disappointing. I think that, you know, one of the issues is that the game awards is
1: like an awards show that basically came out of one person's will. Like Jeff Keighley was like, I want to keep the game. I want to keep doing an awards show for games. Mm -hmm. And I got a bunch of massive publishers to put money into it. And it mostly focuses those big publishers and those big games who don't really need any awards like recognition. I don't think like I don't think people are going to see God of War Ragnarok Game of the Year 2022 and be like, oh well I hadn't thought about buying it before. I'm gonna get it now. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't really think that's what it's for. And it is like what you're saying. Oddly enough, the the ones that could use this the most are the smaller games. Like I think about you know, Disco Elysium, which kind of managed to like rocket to this like beloved, like cult classic status mm-hmm. in some ways because they won at the game awards for best indie game. And I think that helped it get a lot of attention from people who might not try it usually. Yeah. Um, so it's like, I care to an extent because like, I know, once an awards show happens, it's like, there's not really a way to ignore it. Um, because there will be people who place importance on it. Mm-hmm. So I just wish that it was recognizing more of the things that I think need the recognition Yeah. Um, beyond uh, the big pleasing games that may- might be good, but like they don't need the recognition to start with.
0: Yeah, I think I'm in a similar space with like, where it's like, I, it personally doesn't make any difference to me, like what game wins what award, but I do know that it, Will provide a boost to whatever game wins. and like the games that I think do something special, like I do want more people to play. And so if the way that that happens is by them winning an award, then in that sense i I do care, even though I know for myself it it means nothing to me, you know, so there's there's this kind of weird, I don't know, this this contradiction there where it's like it's not going to affect my life at all, but i I certainly would like. Games that I think are deserving of recognition to get more recognition.
1: Yeah, I think that um, I think that there is, and you mentioned this before. I think there is a responsibility of the Game Awards to mm-hmm. like bring its audience, I like to make its audience see some games that they would never think of or never be exposed to and want to play. For example, there are more indie-focused or more interesting awards in the game space Mm -hmm. for example there's like the gdc awards um which are given by game developers and it's it's very interesting to look at them but i don't think most people who just play games are going to be like tuning in to find out who won the gdc awards and be like oh i need to i need to play this game so you have the the common like the the common gamer public are the people who are going to be mostly tuning into the Game Awards. And most people, maybe because they just aren't exposed to us by the game's media, don't know a lot about indie games or smaller games. And I think that enraptured audience is like a benefit of the Game Awards and why that they they should think a little bit more about what they do nominate for indie categories.
0: yeah. I think that makes it tricky though, because like a very wide audience like that, if they watch the show and it's all games that they've never heard of before and never played, it's not going to mean anything to them. But if it's just the game that they want to win every time wins every time, then there was no point to it in the first place, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's like, there is kind of a weird line to walk where you, you kind of need to show some things that represent the kind of like general audience for games And then I, but then I think there is space that's not being served for awards that honor games that like the typical viewer might not have played, but would be interested in if they gave it a chance. And that's like, maybe that's just, you know, that's just not what the game awards is for. Like you said, there are other awards that could do that, but then the problem becomes like people aren't aware of them or, or don't tune into them. So it's, I don't know. It's a weird circular problem where in order to get more attention on games, you need to you know, put forth games that people aren't familiar with, but people only want to see games they're familiar with because they have no context for the the ones they've never heard of, you know, it's, it's I don't know, it all just keeps coming back to it being a difficult problem. But whatever that problem is, I, I the Game Awards just doesn't seem to be the venue to take that on, you know?
1: Yeah, I would say that um, I think my biggest like recommendation is that people just like pay attention to any sites they read or like journalists that they like, because especially like end of year, most places will do their own kind of coverage Mm -hmm. or be like, here's our favorite game or journalists will be like, here's my favorite game of the year. And oftentimes I think that's like a space where a lot of smaller or unrecognized games will get attention. So like, if you do want to see new things, um, then, you know, read, read some Games journalists and yeah. your sites, like like read Kotaku's Game of the Year or Polygons or or Inverses, okay. <laughs> read our end of year coverage. Yeah, find th- out our favorite games. Yeah,
0: I do think our end of year coverage is going to be very good, <laughs> just based <laughs> on our own ballot. This is a fully other topic, but that does kind of relate to like a very common complaint I see is like why don't like mainstream sites cover indie games? And it's it's a very similar answer, and it's just like people don't want to read about it. But there are always writers at those sites who want to cover them. It's just that like you need to keep your job also. and so you always you can't always do that. But I think end of the year lists yeah. like this are a place where there is there is time for that because you're not devoting like a huge or you know a site rather isn't devoting a huge amount of resources to covering one specific game. it's It's like a you know, a big end of the year thing. So the writers who are inclined to highlight indie games have a space to actually like, talk about the things that they've been dying to all year in these pieces
1: yeah i mean that's uh some pretty extensive opinions on the game awards i think that we can move on to just like what we've been up to the rest of the week um yeah aside have, from you, at the game before game awards i know exactly have you been di- doing anything fun are you going to one up getting a tattoo <laughs>
0: Uh, I don't think I'm gonna one up that this week. I've been mostly, you know, pacing around my apartment and periodically applying moisturizer to my my f- now flaking tattoo. Um, <laughs> horrible image to to give you right at the end here. But um, one thing I have been enjoying, and uh, two things, I guess, uh, I've been listening to a couple of podcasts. The one I'll start with is. A podcast that it seems that everyone else in the world is also listening to this week, which is uh If Books Could Kill. Are you familiar with this? I've never heard of this. It's apparently like the number one, it's like one of the top podcasts on Apple right now, is the thing I keep hearing. So it's a it's a podcast about like the the hosts describe it as they're kind of going through like the worst idea, the the worst, most influential ideas that have been kind of permeating culture for for the past couple of decades. Uh, And they're exploring those ideas via, like, pop science, uh, like, airport books. So the first couple of episodes, they've talked about, like, Freakonomics. They've talked about Malcolm Gladwell's uh, Outliers. And then this week's episode, they talked about uh, a David Brooks book. Uh, And so it's basically just, like, looking at these books that spread just truly horrendous ideas that a lot of people now kind of, like, accept at face value just because they've become so widespread. I don't know, it's it's a very interesting thing because it's like kind of a debunking of them. Like they sometimes in like very great detail will go through and look at the claims of these books and point out like, well, here's why that's incorrect. Here's like the problems with the methodology. Here is the weird like cognitive distortions that make you think that. Here's why this is like a, you know, a leap of logic or whatever. And it's just, I don't know, it's very fascinating to hear ideas just completely dismantled in a very digestible way like that it's also a very funny podcast the hosts are great uh the reason that i've actually been listening to this is because one of the hosts uh michael hobbs is also the host of a podcast that i truly adore called maintenance phase which is kind of similar in spirit where it's all about kind of uh you know debunking and like setting the record straight on on various like uh misunderstood science but maintenance phase focuses specifically on like nutrition and diet, and they talk a lot about, like, fat phobia and the completely wild ideas we have about weight and uh, how fad diets work and things like that. Uh, And very similarly, it's, like, it's a very kind of detailed uh, pulling apart of, like, false claims and misunderstandings, Uh, and it's also just, like, extremely entertaining. I've listened to the entire archive of Maintenance Phase in the past, like, two weeks, and I'm re-listening to some episodes already because it's just like, it's my absolute catnip.
1: <laughs> I mean, that sounds really interesting. I'm, I'm probably going to have to try yeah. both
0: of these. I, yeah. I recommend them wholeheartedly.
1: Amazing. So I haven't been listening to a podcast. I've been doing more games. Mm. And uh, interesting enough on the idea of what is an indie game or what is a small game, <laughs> uh, I've been playing this game called Pentiment. So Pentiment is made by Obsidian Entertainment, who people will know from Fallout New Vegas or The Outer Worlds, which sounds like a big deal, but it was also made by a team of less than 20 people. And it basically follows a artist in 16th century Bavaria over the course of 25 years, as he solves a series of murders in the medieval countryside. This game is exceptional. It's beautiful. It all looks like an illuminated manuscript and all the dialogue is written out in like handwritten script or you meet certain people who use early like printing press blocks. So it's all it's all like really detailed. there's an, there's a lot of love that you can feel in the game, but it's also just a really, Gripping, like mystery to to solve and you do it by just like talking to all these people in the town and it does a really effective job of telling this interesting story of like art and and how we you know decide on what the version of history we're gonna live with is and you get to like watch your decisions affect this one town over 25 years so it's it's really great. I've been obsessed with it, liked it a lot. That's kind of what I've, that is what I have been up to.
0: You also have a great review of this game up on Inverse right now, which I certainly recommend people to check out. Um, I got to play like a tiny, tiny bit of it just this morning. Uh, and like, like nothing has happened <laughs> so far plot wise. <laughs> like it just, I've seen only the tiniest slice, but it's already like, just extremely captivating and and beautiful and very clearly like a a very a singular kind of thing. Um
1: yeah, I will say the game the game has a very slow start. Mm-hmm. This is something I noticed. Um you take at least in my playthrough, it took 4 hours of playing before I got to the first murder.
0: Which like oh, really wow.
1: starts the game. So yeah, it's um you you invest your
0: time <laughs> in talking to people, but it, it's worth it. Cool. Yeah, I'm still like at the point where you're kind of like choosing backgrounds and things. So I'm like mm-hmm. right at the beginning. But yeah, it, it seems like a, a pretty incredible thing. And honestly, like I like I said, I just played it this morning and I had already forgotten it was obsidian because it seems like like such a small uh, and personal thing that it's it's strange to think of it coming out of a studio that's that like that large and that well-known you know yeah but yeah it seems incredible uh, i'm glad you liked mm-hmm. it so much mm-hmm.
1: all right uh well that's gonna wrap it up for us here at girl mode thanks for joining you can listen to us anywhere you listen to podcasts and you can find us on socials we are on twitter and instagram at girl mode underscore pod and we're on co-host at girl mode dash pod you can find me on twitter and co-host at the Willow Row, and you can find me on Twitter and co-host at Robin Bombus. Okay, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, see you later. Have a good
0: day. Bye. Bye. Bye.